Are you living the life you want to live? This was the question that arose from the quiet of my heart at my friend's funeral who left this world much too soon. The honest answer was sometimes, but not nearly enough. I realized that day that I operated my life on the premise that there would always be more time. More time to live the life my soul, Jesus, God, was waiting for me to embrace. The truth is our earthly stay is much shorter than we believe. How can we live what the poet Mary Oliver calls our one wild and precious life? In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came so you would have life and life and full. Full is the operative word. Jesus accomplished a soulful life in 33 years. He loved exquisitely, hoping we would follow his divine lead. He claimed sinners as friends. He savored a table overflowing with good food, family, friends, old and new. He relished music, nature, and the fabulous gift of laughter. If Jesus had had an iPhone, I'm sure he would have been Instagram happy, posting pictures of olive groves and almond trees in Jerusalem, the remarkable sunsets over the Dead Sea, the joyous celebrations like the wedding of Cana, and all of the children with their smiling faces sitting at his feet. Jesus believed the world was meant for good, full of abounding beauty and so incredibly sacred. He found daily reasons to hope. He knew a full life here on earth was impossible apart from God. Often he stepped away from the world's chaos for heart-to-heart -heart conversations with God. He needed that constant contact to make his holy way. He also painfully knew that a soulful life included setbacks, physical and emotional suffering, and sometimes even unfathomable loss. But he always had faith in the ultimate outcome. We must radically and regularly practice faith, a belief in what God dreamed for us. Expect to be humbled and heartbroken. Like Jesus, we will weep and we will weep again. But wait, it doesn't stop there. Of utmost importance to the soulful life is a willingness to rise again and again against all odds with open arms and hearts for what creative and redemptive thing God will do next in your life, in my life, in this whole sacred world. So Eugene Peterson's translation of today's scripture from Philippians 3, chapter, I mean, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, is our rallying call for the soulful life. Paul says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way reaching out to Christ who has so wondrously reached out to me. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, which is what I call the soulful life. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning me onward to Jesus. So I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. Do we want more from this life? I think you and I do. We have no idea how many breaths we will be gifted here. 
a more sacred existence, one that is filled with regular joy and many resurrections is the mission. And I think it's very possible. So what would a more soulful life look like for us? An important message in my new book, Soulful, and proclaimed by Jesus, is that imperfect lives can be holy. Jesus did not ask of his disciples, those he healed, or ourselves today to be perfect. We aren't going to get it right all the time. But when we confess our shortcomings, grace sets us free to keep moving forward. Our culture, and even sometimes the church, lead us to believe perfection is the goal. I believe God is simply asking us to open ourselves to every encounter, every relationship, every success, defeat, loss, hope, and dream. Be brave, trust Him, do not look back, do not freeze in place, but press onward. In our wildest imagination, we cannot anticipate what God has up His divine sleeve for us next. So Soulful is my encyclopedia of hope. It is full of creative and accessible ways to discover a more sacred, fulfilling life. And so today, I've picked seven to get us started. Number one, put yourself in the path of beauty. Balance the negativity and sorrow with experiences of goodness and hope. Glimmers of God are readily accessible in nature. You will find me seeking and hailing and praying most early mornings at Percy Warner Park or Radnor Lake. Someone once told me, you gotta bring the outside in. So a warm breeze, the radiance of the sun, the unique blueness of the sky, the distinct trill of the songbird, and the lovely gold of the ginkgo. Glory is also found in music, like Vivaldi's Four Seasons, or inspiring art like Chagall's painting of Abraham and the Three Angels, and thought-provoking poetry from Emily Dickinson, John O'Donohue, and Mary Oliver. The media world quickly makes us anxious, afraid, and even hopeless. But stop, look, listen, believe that God's world is full of goodness and beauty and hope. So your homework for number one is to discover one inch of beauty a day because I believe it will save your life. Number two, we have to nurture our relationships. So God gave us each other for a reason. Our interactions with other human beings often expose our pettiness, our greed, and how judgmental we can be. But they can also reveal generosity, self-sacrifice, and miraculous love. Will you meet the world from your flaws or from your glory is the daily question. Relationships are our spiritual legacy. Our life's worth ultimately depends on the quality and the quantity of the love given and received over our lives. Also, forgiveness. It is imperative for mind and body and soul health. Resentments hamstring us. Who is it that you need to forgive today in order to keep moving forward? 
It is not easy. Sometimes a Herculean feat, but you have to do it right now. Jesus said not seven, but 77 times to forgive, to let the pain go. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. So tell people you love them now and hold no grudges. Number three, pray. Do you feel anxious, afraid, and powerless over the violence and the suffering and the loss that is happening all around us? Yes, is the answer. But we have access to a divine reality that is greater than ourselves. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Open your eyes and your hearts and surrender all of the fear and vulnerability to the one who loved you first, loves you right now, and will love you forever. No other has a greater investment in our well-being than God. Humility and speaking our raw truths are the first lessons on how to pray. Prayer is the language of our souls. From my own experience, God meets us where we are, the good, the bad, the ugly, no judgment. Bring God into the rolling conversation of your life, from your morning coffee, to the school pickup lines, to walks in your neighborhood, to the closing of the day, which is the bathtub for me. One of my favorite prayers in the book begins, creator of me, when I close my eyes, slow my breath and ask you to enter in, I feel the shift in gravity. You are here. No longer am I relying on myself and the material world for my grounding and truth, just you, the one whose love never fails me. You have to tug on that invisible thread connecting forever you to God. Number four, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. In the book, I talk about the tenets of my faith. These include prayer, participation in a spiritual community, we're blessed to have this one, reading the Bible, especially the Psalms, taking pilgrimages, spending time in nature, serving my neighbor, and cultivating inner peace, one of the very most important. With six kids, three dogs, four beehives, a commitment to my ministry and writing, life frequently feels like Grand Central Station in New York City. Easily, I become tangled up and weary. This means the world, especially my family, do not receive the very best from me. So uh, several years ago, I spent a week at the Abbey of Our Lady of Gethsemane in Kentucky. It's a Cistercian Monastery of Holy Silence in Kentucky. They let women come once a year. There were signs all over the monastery that read, silence is the only language spoken here. So after the first day, um, I bush hogged up a mountain to get cell service. Um, but once I took a breath, settled in, I discovered how much I really needed the calmness in my life. True peace is always found in interior quiet. So I coined this phrase for myself, have a monastery experience in Grand Central Station. 
It simply means that I have to carve out time in my busy life. I have to tune out the loud world in order to experience true peace. So this could be a short walk absent of my phone or having a cup of tea or just taking a quiet moment alone and breathing. One of my very favorite peace-inducing exercises comes from um, the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh's smile meditation. So we're gonna try it right now. Um, I've done this before and I was told that people liked it and so we're gonna do it again. Um, so right now, what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and your mouth, okay? So we're gonna take a deep breath through our nose and when you release it through your nose, you're just gonna smile. Okay, here we go. Two more times. The smile is the kicker. Every time you smile, hundreds of muscles relax in your body. It's a miracle worker, especially in the traffic of Hillsborough Road. A peaceful existence in this upside down world, it does require incredible intentionality. So doctor's orders commit to a personal monastery experience at least once a day. Number five, and Elise and Rose started me off on this this morning. Nothing delights my soul quite like tying on my apron, making a big pot of soup, setting a beautiful table with multiple chairs for those that I love. Jesus loved the table too. He knew it was where people are seen and heard, healed and especially loved. Something transcendent happens around the table. Bodies are fed, but more importantly, souls are fed too. The first instinct when the world feels too much, especially if we are struggling with grief, is to tuck in, to stay back, to hide. Do the exact opposite. Put your welcome mat out. Accept invitations to break bread. It doesn't matter what is served. You will only remember how you felt around that table. Laughter, just being together, heals us from the inside out. Again, time is precious. We have to make the ordinary moments sacred. Number six, practice Resurrection. So this is the final line of one of my favorite poems by Wendell Berry. I joke with my husband all the time about my desire to have a pet peacock. Apparently, they are very loud and they make a huge mess on your roof. Peacocks have to be one of God's most creative masterpieces. They're fans of feathers and iridescent blues and greens, those signature eye patterns and their elegant otherworldly headdresses make these birds true works of art. Apparently, peacocks earn their beautiful feathers by literally crunching on thorns. Live long enough and you are gonna know the taste of thorns too, those knocks and losses in life. I, like you, have a resume of the hard and the heartbreaking. The September 11th terrorist attack in downtown New York City. My firstborn son, Charlie, treated for stage four cancer. The devastating funeral for my friend who took his own life. 
a sad miscarriage, a loss of the dearest friend to brain cancer, and the covenant tragedy which took me to my knees. Easy it would be to raise the white flag of defeat, to decide that I just don't want to participate in a world that can so easily break my heart and steal my hope. So I'm a huge fan of, um, I call him the saint, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He said, I believe with a steadfast faith that there can never be a situation that is utterly, totally hopeless. Hope is deeper and very close to unshakable. To choose hope is to step firmly into the howling winds, bearing one's chest to the elements, knowing that in time, the storm will pass. I believe God built us to resurrect over and over again, and hope is encoded in our souls. We have to dig for courage. We have to reach out for help. We have to trust that one day you and I will find the province of joy again. Stronger, braver, more beautiful for having been broken and masterfully healed. Then we transform into these living luminaries who light up the darkness for others. So yesterday, I had the honor of performing a wedding in the prayer garden outside for Thurston and Haley Cromwell. So one of the most difficult moments for me as a pastoral minister occurred um, a little over three years ago. It was the morning I climbed into the bed with Thurston's brave three children, Anna, Caroline, and Isaac, to help them say goodbye to their mother, Tanya, who had fought the most courageous battle against breast cancer. I'll never forget uh, beautiful Isaac getting up to speak at his mother's funeral. He said, my mama loved me, and I loved my mama. And then he sat down. How could the sun ever shine as bright again? In Paul's letter to the Romans, he said, May the God of green hope, green hope, meaning it's always budding, fill you with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives, filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit, will brim over with hope. The truth is, God is never going to stop working on our behalf. God holds our broken hearts in his hands and with tenderness and creativity and love, God makes a new way for us. In this particular story, God has written the most beautiful next chapter. The fireworks of love spark off of Haley and Thurston. They are true lovebirds. They met on Bumble, And after a three-hour meet-cute at Urban Grub on 12th South, they just knew God had worked a unique miracle. The most beautiful part of this story is witnessing how God is in the delicate details of our lives. When Haley said yes to Thurston, she also said yes to being a mom for the first time. Isaac was born with Down syndrome, and Haley grew up with a brother, Paul, also with special needs. God is tender, God is creative. God will make a new way for you and for me if we dare to trust and choose to abound in hope. Everything is always more than it seems with God. Be patient with God's timing. 
Live your life confident that God has you and won't let you go. So I sign off all of my writing on my blog and on the Spire articles um, with this tagline, live in hope. I believe to live in hope, your soul must be so attuned to when and where and how God is reaching out to you. God is always nudging us, giving us clues through the people who cross our paths, dreams that are percolating in our hearts, prayers that come from somewhere deep, deep within us, even through the shut doors and the terrible losses. We have to keep our eyes and our ears and our arms and our hearts open. God can be subtle. I haven't really thought about this in many, many years, but I remember it was early January and it was at the very beginning of Charlie's treatment for cancer. So we didn't know if he was gonna live or if he was gonna die. One morning, one of the doctors on morning rounds, um, not our normal doctor, but a different doctor, her name was Dr. Kramer, came into our room. She didn't even check on Charlie. She walked right up to me and said, Miss Mason, have you bought Charlie's Easter outfit yet? I gave her a blank stare. Start looking for one on the internet. And then walked out of the room. Easter outfit was code word for, Charlie is gonna be here in three months and he will celebrate Easter. God had spoken. You have to be soft, open, porous, so the Holy Spirit can reach you. We must keep moving forward with our soul scars, believing that God is still writing a story for us. More beauty, more joy, more hope, and finally redemption are promised. As the poet Emily Dickinson wrote, our occupation is this, spreading wide our narrow hands to gather paradise. If you still have a breath, God has something for you. Believe, trust, hope. Okay, finally, number seven, love a stranger. A soulful life demands sacrifice. God needs us to contribute goodness back into the swirling cosmos. We were not given breath solely for our own enjoyment. Our lives are meant to serve a larger purpose. Not sure what to do, love well who and what is right in front of you. You have no idea the domino effect of a simple word of encouragement to another human being. It could change their day for good, maybe even save their life. Heaven would be close to earth today if every single one of us in this room gave a little of our hearts to an unknown person. Love would prevail on our watch. And so to conclude, um, I leave you with my dear friend Toulouse's words. Practice what you hope for, as if what you hope for might be possible. Welcome to the soulful life. Amen.